From New York City, the world famous Comedy Cellar presents Live from America Podcast. With Noam Dorman and Hatem Gabber. Live from America Podcast. Where the top experts in the world and the best comics in the nation get together weekly to discuss today's issues as they cover news, culture, politics, comedy, and more with an equal part of knowledge and comedy. And now, here are your hosts, Hatem Gabber and Noam Gorman. Hey, welcome to Live from America podcast. This is Hatem. Alongside me, the one and only Noam Dorman. Ta-da! And, and the owner of the Comedy Cellar, Legendary. And uh, was practicing some beautiful music before. How are you, sir? Am I? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I know you, um, Hatem had a heart transplant and he had a stress test this week. Uh, but be, uh, he told me about it. It's a stress test where they have to give you a chemical stimulant to to simulate um strenuous exercise uh and uh, you should tell everybody about that at some point because it's um it sounds terrifying it's very terrifying so stress test usually you know you sit in um uh, you stand in a treadmill and you do your work or whatever and they measure your heart functions uh while you're resting but because when you have a heart transplant they cut the um uh the little nerves that tell you that you're working out so they don't want to do so instead they put you in bed and they give you you know a medication that makes your heart work very very hard while you're laying down so it's it's i don't have to describe it it's a crazy feeling you know but it's 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 very scary too. so how does how does the heart we got to get onto the show but but how does the heart if if you actually exercise how does the heart know it needs to pump faster you have to give it like 20 minutes uh cool down and 20 minutes warm up so I don't understand. We so, have to take it like very slow and uh, you know do faster, faster. So the stresses will take a long time. Basically. So 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 there's so there's other ways that the brain determines it needs more oxygen and notifies the heart. Yeah, it's like it's like a, a slower but, system. Yeah, but it yeah, takes a long time. I understand. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and let's uh, get to our show. So yeah, um, what what about if you're having sex? No, sex is fine. Don't don't try to block me. Sex is fine, ladies. No problem at all there. <laughs> all right, comedian nobody, Derek Hamper. Nobody has to sign. Nobody, the women don't have to sign a disclaimer or something like that. Or like, <laughs> <laughs> lack of, an indemnity. Uh, go no, ahead. you're kicking in. And no, you can't get your money back if you're listening. Comedian Derek Hamper is here. Hello, the one who... Um, okay, Wouldn't book Louis C.K. Go ahead. Next. He said he's going to book Thank Louis you. <laughs> Our guest of honor... Uh, a man that I love his work and been following for a while. Uh, Aaron Mate is here. Uh, he's the host of Pushback with Aaron Mate and co-host of uh, podcast Useful Idiots. In 2019, he was awarded the Izzy Award for Outstanding Achievement in Independence Media. Good to have you. Good to be here. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm well. Have I'm you well. been to the cellar before, Comedy Cellar? Of course I have, yeah. Ah, yeah. that's great. Of course. Ah, ah nice. Uh, Oh, yeah. Have you ever been involved in the debate upstairs at the olive tree? You know, with Norm and friends. I've heard about it, but no, uh, I've uh, I've not seen it. Well, now we have a pass. Yeah, <laughs> you can come in anytime and stuff. Hey, so, I'd love to. Yeah, so guys, uh, first of all, um, the threat is over. Do you guys feel safe now that the balloon is done? <laughs> the balloon is down. You feel safe. The balloon. <laughs> I, I do see in that video of them shooting it down. That was pretty cool. I feel much better now. Yeah, they Hollywood the shit out of it, right? Like, it's a balloon. Like, you need a needle. That's it. Because they said <laughs> they want to keep everything intact, you know, and, and lose uh, and, and check the pre well, Needle. Right. Um, Aaron, what's your thoughts on the whole this balloon situation thing? I want to know how much money they spent on this operation because they flew jets. You know, was there a cheaper way to do this? As you say, a pen done the trick and <laughs> i i just want to know how much taxpayer money was wasted on this whole thing and yeah it's hilarious apparently this is not the first balloon from china that's flown over the u.s but this is the first one we're hearing about apparently there were some balloons that flew uh under trump and also at the beginning of the biden administration too uh but this one for some reason brought everybody together in uh in harmony to oppose the balloon but what's funny is now republicans are trying to make this a partisan issue that biden somehow put america at risk because he allowed this balloon to fly over 
the cornfields of Iowa and sweep up some sensitive secrets that way. But I'd love to get more information. I'm not even sure what the nature of this balloon is. Like, is it there to commit espionage? Is there some other purpose? If you're China, like, why are you flying a balloon over the U.S. like that? If you're trying to spy on the U.S., it seems like a pretty easy way to get caught. So hopefully we'll get some answers. Yeah, nope. nothing, nothing, yeah. I mean, I agree with Aaron. Nothing. Well, I, I, I don't like that people, you know, start inhabiting conclusions, you know, based on their prior politics, whatever it is. I mean, obviously something went on here. There's a balloon. We presume if they sent it, they felt it was worth their while to send it. It does seem like spy satellites now are, from what I know, are so the resolution is so high. You'd wonder what's to be gained from a balloon. On the other hand. Clearly, there must be something gained from balloon, or they wouldn't send it, right? Uh, then you also wonder: Is this like if they've done it before? Is this like you know Clinton sending missiles into Sudan, you know, to distract from Monica? Is it is it a wag the dog thing? Who the hell knows? You know, as far as taxpayer money goes, I don't know that uh, they it's you know they pay as they go for these things. I imagine this just comes out of the fact that we have spider jets and we have people on salary, and I guess the fuel is a but even that's probably bought in advance. I don't know that it co- actually costs us extra, but I think Aaron is probably more just indicting the fact that we spend so much in general on defense so we can be ready for things like this. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm curious to know what was in that balloon, right? No, I guess we'll find out. Do you guys see yeah. Top Gun 3 coming with the balloon? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was flying over South Carolina. I'm surprised South Carolinians didn't just shoot it down on their own. <laughs> I mean that's really kind of par for the course, but I mean is isn't the subtext here that especially now more than ever we just don't trust anything at all. Mhm. That's I a mean, good point. We, it would be nice to know that if they shot down a balloon, we would be able to presume <laughs> that it was much more likely than not that this was an important thing to do. And if they're reporting that it's a, it was a serious thing, they say, well, they if they're telling us then they w- they wouldn't tell us if it wasn't true, but I don't know if this is more about the government or the press, which has been so solicitous over the last few years of everything the government says, but we don't. We're just like, yeah, who knows? We have. We, there's no reason to think anything we hear reported or told to us by an official means anything, right? I mean, anything could be true. Literally, from it not being a Chinese balloon to it being much more serious than they're telling us, anything in the whole spectrum would not be surprising at this point based on what the last few years. That's I'd love to know book. if the uh, I'd love to know if the inventor of the balloon thought that their invention <laughs> would ever get to this point. I mean, <laughs> assuming it was just made for initially for birthday parties or something like that and special occasions, and now it's being used for international espionage and you know talk of World War Three. You got to be both, uh, you know, impressed by your creation, but also a little bit scared at the monster you've unleashed in the world. Maybe I they're mean, finally it, aliens, but they're way less advanced than us. They still have balloons and they're coming through that, you know. I mean, you, you got to hand it to these low-tech devices. They are stubbornly holding on to the future, including in Gaza and, you know, all various things. That's you know, true. That's true. It's, uh, it's interesting. You know, there's probably there's probably way more examples that we could think of of low-tech, which just is here to stay. <laughs> this is just their way of bankrupting us. They keep sending these balloons over. We're going to start shooting them out of the sky with Tomahawk missiles and we're going to run out of money, you know? I mean, maybe the balloons are just there to test our ability to f- see things. That would be like, like they send, let's send balloons over there. Let's see if they even notice them. If they don't notice them, then maybe we can send some drones, you know, like that, that, that would make some sense. But again, you know, I, I know I was joking when I said like just a needle, but I mean, like why, why the show? You know, why you have to send, why can't, why, it's a balloon. Why can't you capture it if you want to see what's inside? You know what I'm saying? Like, why can't, like, there's a lot of things, a lot of scenarios why you want to make sure that you, you know. Uh, well, the, the, to add to that, and I, I, the, and I know Aaron probably has a lot to say on this. The interesting thing is that everybody spies on everybody. It's a totally amoral system. Nothing is off limits. No government ever says, well, we shouldn't do that. It's only a matter of what you can get caught doing. All sides understand this. So the outrage is 100% phony on all sides at all times. And that's a, that's quite a pill to swallow. It, 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 they're not, our government is not actually outraged that the Chinese are spying on us because 
Of course. And we have, you know, and we'll do, we would do the same. Right, Aaron? You agree with that? Oh, I, yeah, I do. I mean, the U.S. sends uh, all sorts of surveillance technology, drones, even spy planes to spy in foreign countries all the time. There was even a controversy at the CIA a few years ago when a number of their informants inside China were killed. And it was a major scandal at the CIA because, you know, the question was, did CIA's negligence play a role in them getting caught? So these are actual humans who were caught by China and executed. And that was a major controversy. So this does happen all the time. And now suddenly a balloon, like the way this story is being reported, is that this is the only case of spying when really everyone's doing it. And recently- I, think, I think we do have, rightly or wrongly, a certain mentality that we're different. In other words, the homeland of America has always been different than all the other land in the world. And, yes. and that, like just encroaching on the American homeland it is historically just, it, it is actually a more significant event than business as usual in Europe and Asia, whatever it is. So we are particularly outraged. And again, maybe we shouldn't be, but maybe just because it's so new that we're no longer separate and apart from the rest of the world, that what applies for so long, what applied to them just didn't apply to us. And that was huge advantage to us. The Monroe Doctrine, all of it, that's just been our mentality. And now we're, they're sending drones and balloons and whatever. It's like, oh shit, that's, this is, we have to process that and integrate that into, into the future. It's, it's, a, it's a new world. And recently, you know, let let Aaron Aaron want to say something. Go ahead. Well, I mean, recall under Trump, remember there was this controversy where Iran shot down a U.S. drone, right? That was near Iran. It was actually over Iranian airspace. Iran shot it down. And then Trump was going to bomb Iran in retaliation. (laughs) And he pulled back at the last minute. And he said it's because he was shown the intelligence and they were warning him that if you you commit this bombing, like you're going to kill about 200 people. And Trump said, I don't want to kill a bunch of people over a drone. And he pulled back. And that, you know, that was one of the few things Trump did that I thought was very admirable. And then John Bolton was so mad at Trump because he dared not punish Iran for daring to shoot our surveillance drone over Iran. So uh, that, that is another example of how um, the U.S. is being challenged in ways that it wasn't before. And in some sometimes it even backs down. You know, it, it's not always uh, enforcing its red line like it used to. Yeah. And I was saying, most recently, a couple of years ago, there was a U.S. plane, spy plane in China. They caught it and analyzed it. Remember that? Like, that was... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. yeah, that's yeah. You got the whole thing. It's a plane. I think, yeah. But you had a pilot. But yeah. I like the strategy of balloon because it's kind of cute, too. Like, we destroyed <laughs> a balloon. We look like the evil people, you know? <laughs> we shot down a balloon. Like, all the kids like, no. Yeah. Yeah. You must. How dare you? You know, Aaron had said, like, this wasn't the first time that this had happened before. And the government's starting to have to admit this sort of thing because, like, the technology that people have, like, on their person every day with these cameras and everything like that, you can't really hide it anymore. It's like how they've come out about the UFO thing. They've admitted that they've had UFOs. They've found UFOs before. They're like, oh, yeah, we, we can't hide it anymore because everybody's got an iPhone and you can see these actions happening. So, I, I, you know, it, it's interesting to see like we're finally waking up to we're part, like you said, we're part of all of this. You know, it was caught in TikTok first. Like, I don't know if you saw the video. There was a guy who said, this is the moon. What the fuck is this? You know, that's how yeah. the whole, we kind of got. You know, there, there was there was no pilot. I'm conf- I'm conflating that with uh, some other Russia yeah. or something or Vietnam. I don't remember. And they said there's other a couple of other balloons, one in like Central South America now, and you know heading this way. <laughs> and you know, again, I'm not ruling out that this was that this balloon uh, was for something other than spying. For example, there are things like weather balloons which are used to. That's what they were saying. Uh, yeah, you know, Claiming and so this. it. It's possible. Now, of course, if they're saying that, they could be lying. Who knows? But I well, Rand, Rand, Rand Paul said that the balloon was being used for gain of function research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be a lot of things. But like, no, I'm saying what information is secret? But I like like now the balloon is going to be like an evil thing. Like you can buy balloons and birthday Valentine's Day coming. Don't buy balloon unless you want to spy on your girlfriend. I don't know. So it's like. Um, all right, so let's move to the next one. Um, this one probably <laughs> makes Noam happy. Uh, Elhan Omar is out from the Foreign Affairs panel. Doesn't make me oh. happy. 
You, you don't like Elhan Omar. Don't let up. I don't need to like her to, to think that she should, she should be thrown off a committee in Congress. Actually, no, went and voted, even though he's not a congressman. He's actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, listen, if you, since you started me, I think that, you know, this, this it was a mistake for the Democrats to tell the Republicans who to put on the January 6th committee. It was a mistake for Harry Reid to think he could limit the end of the judicial filibuster to lower things. They, they begin these tit for tats and then they express outrage that the other party didn't limit their changing of the norms simply to the changing of the norms that they decided they were going to think. So you, you would think that some politician at some point would understand that there's gold in the hills of a, a conspicuous forbearance. In other words, to say, listen, they did this to us but we have to break the cycle. We are not going to do that to them. You would think somebody would realize there's a lot of votes to be had by that. But instead, these idiots just keep escalating this thing. I mean, I, there is a case to be made that, uh, you know, I, that one might worry about Elhan Omar. I don't know how legitimate that case is, but she is a Democratic representative. You can't, you can't ban her from a committee without some evidence that, I mean, this is crazy. I, I, where does it end? It's ridiculous. We have, anyway, that's Aaron, my your thoughts. Yeah, well, I agree that that, that Democrats established this precedent when they uh, removed Republicans like Marjorie Taylor Greene from committees because they didn't like uh, her views, uh, and they also wouldn't let on certain 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 Republicans on the January sixth committee as well. They only put on, on Republicans who like already agreed with their narrative. So yeah, this Republicans doing the same thing. Um, in the case of Ilhan Omar, I see my problem is. First of all, in general, I don't think anyone should be removed from any committee based on their political views. I think if they abuse their position, that's another story. So McCarthy also removed Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell off of House Intelligence. I think that was fair because when they were on House Intelligence, they abused their positions to say that they had seen secret evidence that Trump was a Russian agent. And they fueled a, a very dangerous and false impression that Robert Mueller was going to uncover the collusion and Trump would be over. And I think there are a lot of really negative consequences to that. Adam Schiff, in particular, just straight up lied. He said that he'd seen more than circumstantial evidence of collusion. And I think for someone on the House Intelligence Committee who has access to classified information, that's an abuse of your position. And furthermore, in Schiff's case, I'm pretty confident that he was the source of so many deceptive leaks during Russiagate that helped fuel the controversy and made people think that there was something there. So I definitely think if anyone deserves to be not on, the, on that committee, it's Adam Schiff. But Ilhan Omar, yeah, no matter how you feel about her views. And when it comes to Israel, I actually agree with her. But regardless, I don't think she should be targeted for the About the Jews or about Israel? <laughs> anyway. well, I, I don't know what she said about the Jews, but in terms of her criticism of, of Israel, I... Uh, um, you know, look, like, I, when, I don't actually... Don't she said it was all about the Benjamins uh, in terms of the Israel lobby's influence over Congress. I thought that was an accurate statement. Yeah, but she said all this stuff. But listen, leaving that aside and leaving the whether... She's anti-Semitic or not. It really, it really not the point. And I don't even agree with you about Adam Schiff, although I agree with you about Adam Schiff. I don't think fairness is ascertainable in, in this context. Um, I don't think that fairness is the measure of whether somebody should be taken off a committee. I think that each party should decide for itself who goes on their committee. And to the extent that somebody should be taken off a committee for bad behavior, they should be censured first. It has to be procedure. One man's fairness is another man's unfairness. And, and what happens is, like all sorts of censorship, and this is a cousin of that, you set up the expectation that this is now something to do. Yeah. And now every Congress, okay, who should we throw off now? And, yeah. and this becomes the, and it's, it's counterproductive in the end. I mean, look back on American history. Did we suffer from the fact that we didn't do this in the past? Just let it go. Not because it would be unfair to Adam Schiff cosmically. He's a he's a dirtbag, but but they're all dirtbags. Sure. Fair enough. It would be, yeah, fa yeah. be fair to ban them all. <laughs> I mean, it definitely seems like she was picked because of like her relation to the squad and anybody else. Like It was a very popular thing to do. Like there are other people they maybe could have just used in that capacity, but she's a very visible person. It was like, we don't like what you said about 9-11. We don't like what you said about X, Y, and Z. We're just going to make you like a 
like a visible person to do this to. So I, you know, I agree with you because like initially when I saw it, I was like, this kind of makes sense based off what she said, but the way that you're kind of framing it now, I'm like, I, I see what you're saying there. So And, and they don't trust her because she's a Muslim. I, I, I believe that. I mean, I hate to read minds, whatever it is, but I, I do feel that's, that's part of it. Now you could say that, this wing of people that's outraged that they don't trust her because she's a Muslim, they do with, you know, very fluidly generalize about white people and not trusting Southerners. Like they're they not the people to preach about the fact that you should not assume things or be suspicious of people based on their ethnic or religious profile. They do it all the time. That's their main agenda, actually. So... They're yeah. not the people to point this out, but I would have to say my gut tells me they don't trust her because she's a Muslim. And that's disturbing to me. Yeah. I think that's a part of it. But also, I think Democrats dropped the ball in their messaging because they were saying that this is because she's a woman of color, also not just a Muslim. But the thing is, like the Republicans ran a Somali woman against Ilhan Omar in Minnesota. So it's not as if they had like they're targeting her just because she's a woman of color. I don't think it's quite that. I, I think oh, that, I had nothing to do with the color. I don't think it's yeah. anything to do with color. It's her politics. Uh, no, that's what she said. It's her politics, right? And and but Democrats in my you know, and this is my critique of, of them being on the left is that they're not willing to own up to their own takes and they're not will and, and they're granting their opponents too much legitimacy in their critiques. What they should have done is said, no, this was about, you know, a, a major part of this was her views about Israel and you know, she has the right to have those views and we're not going to apologize for them. And people are being unfairly punished for having dissenting views on Israel. And that's not fair. And I just feel like by making this about her identity, it 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 distracts from that. Yeah, a thousand percent. Yeah. Well, um, her speech was pretty good, you know, um, so I usually don't follow. But yeah, of course, she is targeted by. And I, and I think one of the main thing is like also for the voters, for the Congress people's voters, they were like, hey, I, I was the one that got her out, you know, and like Noam says, you know, people don't like her, or don't trust her because uh, she's Muslim, not only in the Congress, but the voters, you know, so, you know, um, all right, moving on. Okay, can, uh, I, can I just say something about Ilhan Omar because it it, it it disturbs me and it it, it disturbs me in, in many contexts. These people are, we presume these people in Congress are sophisticated people who understand subtexts and contexts and all that. So when you're going to make a remark about somebody which is sounds very similar to what the haters and the bigots and the kind of things and, 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 and steps on these, comes very close to these third rails, a, a certain type of person is careful about the way they utter that. In other words, I might say to my waspy friend, it's all about money to you all the time, but I'm, I, you know, but he might be more careful in the way he says it to me because he understands that this is a more complex thing to say to somebody like that. Just like I could call somebody, uh, I could somebody like, like I could tell somebody you look like a monkey like that, but I wouldn't say that to a, a black person because I. So, whatever you want to say about the Israel lobby and all that, and you know, Thomas Friedman has said similar things, and and whatever you want to get to the essence of truth about that, I cannot give her a pass on the repeated way that she pretends, and I would say it's probably calculate that she pretends to not understand that she's uttering things in a vulgar way that sound exactly like the people who do actually hate the Jews would say them. And that's not a classy thing to do. I can't read her mind, but if my kids did that, I was home. What's the matter with you? You know, have, did I raise you like that? Don't you, don't you understand the way you sound? Yeah. You might have a point on the merits, but put it in a different way. So people know that you're not a piece of shit. That, that's my reaction. So, so, so I don't think it's enough just to say that she's right about the Israel lobby. That does not erase the fact that she, the way she said it was just not the way a, a different type of person might have approached saying that very same thing. So that's all I want to say about that. But I react to this the same way I react to when I see people try to police what comedians say. You know, it's in that she made a quip like it's all about the Benjamins baby and talking about the role of the Israel lobby over Congress. And I thought that was 
funny and also I thought it was true because it is all about the Benjamins. You know, APAC, Israel Lobby Group, boasts about how much money they raise and how much they spend to lobby Congress for policies that they want. So her pointing that out, I mean, I know, of course, there's an anti-Semitic trope about Jews and money, but that's not her fault because if you have groups like APAC bragging about their money and influence, yeah, yeah, I think but, it's fair to say it's all about the Benjamins, baby. And I thought, listen, I thought it, but she also <laughs> said... I, I, would I have said that after I got in trouble for uh, saying that Jews have hypnotized the world? Like, like you know. Did she say that? I mean, that's the part I, I, that I missed. Now, yeah. there was something. I'll look it up. There was something else that she said that the Post wrote about about the Holocaust, and they, they were totally dishonest about it. This guy, uh, Sarah Bamari, is that his name? He was the editor of the, uh, the, the, the – and uh, Judy, uh, the one who went to jail. What's the name of the reporter who went to jail? Oh, Judith Miller. Judith Miller wrote a column, yeah. and and they totally took her out of context, and they made it sound like she was somehow soft on the Holocaust. And I looked at it; she couldn't. Say, I looked at it, and I sent it to them, and I sent it to Judith Miller, and I sent it to Sarah Bamari, who I who I was sometimes in email contact with, and yeah, I said, "Listen, too. this is dishonest. You need to take this out." He's never answered me since. He totally ghosted me. Hmm. So, hmm. She, she, you know, you you're right to be skeptical of what people say that she said. But uh, I mean, Judith I, Miller. I mean, you know, she she's best known for publishing all these fake claims about Iraq and WMDs. So yeah, she, she accused Israel of, of Israel of, of hypnotizing the world. Now, it, even, now, this is also similar to, I mean, it's, it's nice for the anti-Semites that they have Israel so they can, they can always say anything they want to say and, and just in, like a Mad Lib, just insert mm-hmm. Israel and it, you never know. Do they mean Israel? Do they mean Jew? Mm-hmm. Whatever it is. But again, yeah. this is part of the classlessness, classlessness of somebody Anybody who's sensitive to bigotry, who wants to utter these kinds of thoughts and knows how it is when they're the victims of this similar game, says things in a certain way. The decision not to say them in that way, I believe, does say something about that person's feelings about these issues. I'm sorry. I don't I don't I I don't and I don't think I'm being unfair to her. I, and I think I would but is say she the only one that does that in Congress. I don't. We're talking about her. Nobody's the yeah. only one who does anything in the world. But we're talking. About I've her. been uh, involved in the in the Palestinine issue for a very long time. Uh, yeah. I'm Jewish myself, and it's you know it was the issue is a big part of my upbringing, and yeah. just I've been involved with it. And I've, so I've met people who you meet them, and they're really really good on Palestine, but then um, elsewhere they have a lot of blind spots, and you realize that you know in some cases, yeah, this does have to do with their, they don't like Jews. Um, and, uh, you know, especially in like sort of a uh, in conservative politics, like meeting conservatives sometimes were very supportive of Palestinians. You can see sometimes it's because of anti-Semitism. But for the most part, I don't think that's the case at all. It's people who just care about human rights and oppose a, you know, a really brutal occupation by Israel that's Listen, been going on. I, I, are you friends with Lee Fang? I, I, I know Lee, yeah. Yeah. No, because he, he I, I, I became kind of friends with him during December. I was on a trip with him and he feels, you know, at least on that issue. I don't know what you guys disagree. He, he's 100 percent with you. And I found myself uh, um, I found me, I liked him very, very much. Um, so I, all of which is say that I'm not a person who's ha, I have no trouble or, or hot him. I, I have no I have no animus towards anybody who feels a particular way about the Israel Palestine issue. And I think. And I think yet everything my criticism of criticism of Ilhan Omar is quite fair, and uh, you know, a lot of things are fair. You know, again, like the other side, there's been a lot of there was a lot of very open skepticism of Mitt Romney for him being Mormon, and people hung all sorts of things in the Mormon text on him and the mm-hmm. black, and yet. People would be outraged when people, if people were to start taking the stuff, at least is horrible about the Jews from the Quran. And when she talks about may Allah awaken the world to how Israel is hypnotizing the world. May Allah, she says, right? Well, fine. I don't, it's a free country. She could say that. But then don't begrudge the, the Southern uh, Congressman has made Jesus awake to the evils of blah, blah. You know, people freak out if a, if a white person, a white Christian said that kind of stuff, you know, if made Jesus awake to the evils of abortion. But I mean, right? she have to, how, how could they bring Jesus into it? She's asking Allah to awaken to the evils. I, of I don't agree with you with that part. That part, I don't agree with you. I mean, All she's right. sworn on the Quran. Is that is that bad? Is like like that's what 
I don't care that she does it. I'm only no, but I'm saying Allah is a word for God. Like it just, you know, it's just a word. You know, like yeah, I understand. Like just saying it can can make some people blood boil. Not you, obviously, but I'm saying. Uh, but for, so that that part I don't agree with you. But the rest of the stuff I know, obviously, know I'm very well. I know that not that disliking. Uh, Ilhan has nothing to do with her criticism of Israel. In it's quite, it's quite a coincidence. Is hypnotizing the world? It's just, it's just, it's just. A Did you actually say that? Yes, it's just uh. a coincidence that it happens to be, you know, exactly the thing that anti-Semites say. You know, I agree with her about it, but yeah, she chose the word hypnotized. You know, let's let's not in our in our effort to not want to be unfair to her and to not want to be one of those people who just screams anti-Semitism at everything. Let's not pretend that there is not some complexity to the Ilhan Omar stuff beyond the fact that we might or might not agree with her positions on Israel. Something about the way she expresses herself is troubling, I think, to a fair-minded person. Anyway, go ahead. I mean, also to Noam's point, too, I mean, you saying, like, Allah means God. Well, so does Jesus to a Christian. You know what I mean? So, like... Using these specific choices, like you do, you are showing like. But nobody's criticizing. If somebody said Jesus, people criticize the people who vote Jesus all the time. Uh, not, not in this conversation. Not Ilhan Omar didn't do that. So I don't know why that was mentioned. That's my point. You know, people in general that don't like Allah is not gonna like Jesus. Is not gonna like you know. It's just words. You know, people are gonna find a word. But yeah, that's you know. But, I think but, this is you know. I think it's very subjective. Like, so when I hear her say, uh, so this tweet from a while ago where she says, uh, uh, Israel has hypnotized the world. May Allah wake people up to Israel's evils. I see a Muslim woman who's angry about Israel and she's asking people to wake up to it, you know? Um, but I, but I get it. I, I, I don't begrudge someone for, for taking, for hearing something different and that's something more sinister and playing into anti-Semitic tropes. I mean, it's, yeah, I think it's very subjective. I just, I'm also not going to assume the worst uh, about her motives. And especially, you know, I understand why people are frustrated with the way Israel's, you know, treated in our media with in comparing that to the reality on the ground. Which is very I agree. I'm not, I, I, I uh, listen, I, I'll go further, We're, but you know, but um, Hatem knows this. Uh, many people might disagree with this. I personally, in my heart, have a double standard about this. In other words, if somebody comes from a particular upbringing, like uh, the reason I say Hatem, like when we worked together in the olive tree, uh, almost everybody in the kitchen was Arabic and Muslim. And if you were to take the things that they openly said about Jews and Israel and, and allow them to come out of the mouth of a white person, um, you'd, you'd be horrified. But a fair-minded person has to discounted by the fact well yeah but they've grown up around this that they, they, they didn't grow up you know in, in my house so they grew up in the arab world where this is and and so in some way i'm ready to accept that ilhan omar is a product of a certain marination of a view from her part of the world and probably her family and probably her home whatever it is that i can't excuse it but i i can't pretend it's not a mitigating factor in some way, this is complex. I, I I know a lot of people would say there's relativism, blah, blah, blah. And there is some of that. And yet, and yet when somebody grows up in a certain way, they, they will be different in some way and they will react differently. She's not going to be sensitive to these things the way uh, someone who grew up in Cambridge would be, you know, she's just not. What I'm saying though is I share that there's also a power dynamic here too, where it's not just about, you know, what they've been raised on. It's about the fact that Israel, I mean, and this gets into politics and how you view that situation, but I have my views on it, which is that Israel is an occupying power. Uh, it's founded on um, ethnic cleansing, basically. There's hundreds of thousands of Palestinians kicked out of their homes in 1948. <clears throat> Israel's occupied their land and then occupied more land in 67, refused to end the occupation, moved in settlers, Established no, Israel, Israel didn't occupy before '67. They took the they took the homes of the Palestinians who fled in '48. So, a small number. I just saw I just saw a long interview with Benny Morris about this, who is who is the expert, right? I mean, the expert. Uh, he's the guy who uncovered it, and he would say that you are incorrect. Uh, in, I know in, he would, but I then I would see, and this gets into history and politics. We don't have to. Nobody knows better than Benny Morris. Well, no. but at the same time, Benny see Benny Morris. 
if you read critiques of him, people will say that his own views contradict his own findings. So he will document the extensive expulsions. Of no, he never documented extensive expulsions. I've I mean, all he, he, I'm telling he you, documented he some expulsions. He did not document document exp extensive expulsions. Listen, we can we can debate this. Uh, no, but it's, it's a matter. Of, I, we can debate it off the air. But but I, I'm telling you. Okay, okay. So what I'm saying is, your assertion is, is contested. Where he's done a lot. Of, he's done a lot of work. He, I agree with you. He is yeah. the authority. He's done a lot of work. He's he went into the archives. But what I'm saying is, he's the kind of person whose conclusions, I think, under contradict his own his own. Findings. No, the actual numbers. I don't want to. I'm. I'm. I, the numbers of expulsions were were quite low. It's about uh, seven. It's at least it, it's in the hundreds of thousands. And no, that's from him. no, it no, is. no, no, no. Of expulsions? No, Absolutely Expul not. Let's let's People. make a gentleman's bet on the air. Okay, uh, I, I'm with that. Now, 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 what Israel will say? They'll say that a lot of Palestinians fled voluntarily because they wanted the. Benny Arab Morris Army. says that. Benny Morris, and that's and that to me is unsupported by by history. And there's plenty of Israeli historians, um, Elon Pape. Um, Avi Schleim, who don't agree with but Benny, ben, but Benny but, Well, we can get to that. I, I, I haven't seen all that, but Benny, Benny so Morris. Well, when you talk to Palestinians, you'll meet many Palestinians who still have the keys to their original homes that they can't go back to. You know? Well, of course there was, but there was. Listen, well, I can't, just, let's just let's just bring one of the facts. Let's we should have another whole thing about the Arab-Israeli conflict. In a war, this is. Uh, inseparable from war and in a in a war especially fought by people who fled you know the holocaust um when they were attacked by people by every country from without and from within from palestinians within there was a war that ended with people being chased out scared out expelled whatever it is in japan we had a war that ended with an atom bomb there's complexity to why that atom bomb was dropped, but in some way, we should not lose sight of Pearl Harbor. In some way, no matter what story you want to tell, it, you can't lose sight of the fact that there was an attack. Israel lost 1% of its entire population in the 48 war in an attack after the United Nations had declared the boundaries. So, and in war, if you take your magnifying glass like Sherlock Holmes to the war on any side of any war fought in human history, you can make your case about the evils of that power. But we do usually also start with who was the aggressor. And there's no question who was the aggressor in 48. No, there is a question. Uh, there is, no, yeah. no, there's no question. I, no, I, there is a question. There is. I think we should do a, another episode yes, on no this question. because there's a lot no of questions. I'm not going to get into any details. I'm just going to say that I, I fundamentally disagree with your, your narrative. And I, when you say I there's think, a question, you mean that you mean that you, you feel that Israel shouldn't have been there. You and shouldn't have created Israel. No, there's no question well, who attacked. No, no, no. The question, see, by the, okay, I'll just say this. Final fact, 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 by the time those Arab states attacked in 1948, Israel had already expelled hundreds of thousands of Palestinians. No, it's, that's just not fact. true. In fact, it is. It is. I, I'll send you the Aaron, reference. Will that's you come on the true. air and correct and correct it? If you, what you're saying is absolutely untrue. I, I will happily come back on the air and and, and bring okay, my. Sources I will send you. I will okay. send you the documentation. Okay. Right, and so, I'm telling so, you, my, my sources are Israeli historians on that. But anyway, you send then but, you send it to me too. If I'm wrong, I will happily correct myself. But I'm telling we'll, you, we'll that. do a whole episode in the Middle East because that's a conversation that never ends. But um, yes, it is. Yes. Uh, and never, never, never let you live it down. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I, you know, the, now that Aaron is here, I have a lot of topics I want to cover, and we have a few minutes left. So let, let's move on to the next one because next one is like he's really expert on, and I really want to talk about, uh, which is uh, Ukraine war. You know, um, so any war. You know, in my opinion, like for a a reason, and should end with, like war should end. You know, there should be peace at the end. But it, it seems like, to me, there's no effort from the U.S. especially to do any peace. Like I feel like even though the world is struggling, you know, more money's been given now. Longer missiles are going to get there. You know, it's just like it's a war that nobody's gonna win. Uh, so uh, and there's a new bill coming out with, with more money for Ukraine and and uh, and more um, military support. Um, so, Aaron, what do you think of the whole thing? Is that is it going to end? Is there a peace? Is there anything? It will end. The question is on what terms and how many people have to die. before. And do you agree that it's our policy not to end the war right now? I absolutely think it's our policy not to end the war, though. I do think 
we're seeing more and more signs of division. So Mark Milley, the chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he came out recently and said we need to have negotiations, uh, which is pretty crazy. The top U.S. military officer saying we need negotiations. And I think the reason he's saying that is he doesn't like where this is going, where this is going to a situation where Ukraine will take more losses and eventually their only hope will be direct NATO intervention. And Milley doesn't want that because he knows what that means. He doesn't want to fight Russia directly, doesn't want to have World War III and risk annihilating all of us. Um, but I, the policy so far has been to keep the war going. So the U.S. sends in just enough weapons that keep Ukraine in the fight, but that doesn't provoke Russia into fighting NATO directly. And and we've seen all this. I mean, like Lindsey Graham said a few months ago, he said, as long as the U.S. gives Ukraine the military support they need, they will fight to the last person. That's Lindsey Graham. And that's why there have been, I think, multiple opportunities to avoid this before the war. Russia put out detailed proposals to the U.S. and NATO that I don't think the U.S. You know, should have just accepted on its face, but they, there could have been negotiations. But there wasn't. They were dismissed. And that had to do with the enlargement of NATO, Ukraine not joining NATO, and also the positions of uh, NATO military infrastructure surrounding Russia, which Russia didn't want to come, didn't propose to completely el eliminate, but just wanted to roll back, wanted the NATO to roll back some of its military posture around Russia, which I think should have at least been discussed. And then earlier in the war, you had peace talks in Tur brokered by Turkey between Ukraine and Russia, and apparently they reached the outline of a deal. But we know from Ukrainian media, sources close to Zelensky, that Boris Johnson, that then the prime minister of the UK, came over and said to Zelensky, no, we're not going to back you up if you reach peace with Russia. And we think now is the time to actually uh, fight Russia because Putin's on the defensive, that we can really weaken him here. And that's why that's the strategy. Lloyd Austin said, we want to weaken Russia. Uh, so this is not about, to me, defending Ukraine. This is about using Ukraine yeah. to bleed an adversary. And they've been successful in that because Russia has bled. It's just come at a huge cost to Ukraine and the world. And the whole world. And and uh, I'll go on and on, but two things I want to say quickly. Putin said, you know, that they almost had an agreement, peace agreement, you know, a few months yeah. ago. And then they yeah. used So my, my question also was, you know, everybody making the Ukraine president hero and all that. I understand the media and stuff like that, but how can you not see what's best for your people? You know, how could you not want to stop this war? Because yes, they are, they have that culture, like a lot of the Middle East, like they're going to fight to the last person. But is that a win situation? Like, don't you supposed to be, you know, leading your country into the best scenario? I'm not saying giving up your lands or whatever, but negotiate, you know? No, what do you I, Yeah, oh, right. I think Zel Zelensky has hypnotized the world. That's what I think. That's not <laughs> a bad word. Good for you. <laughs> I agree with that. I agree. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't have any strong. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just bow out of this one. I don't have any strong opinions on the Ukraine stuff. I haven't done my homework on it. But uh, you don't think it's our policy to not to keep it going in a way? Well, to keep it going, that's a that's a tendentious way to put it to to not. It's our policy to defend Ukraine. But what do you mean by keep it going? I don't know. Keep the war going. But forever? Like or we have at least now, not stopping at any moment coming soon the rest what, of the what does it stop me like if we stop giving him arms in other words if we stop giving you arms or defending him you're saying that he would have to he would have to submit to whatever they wanted but he but he, he could also be overrun right no we're not saying that we're saying like you can you have enough power to you can say like hey let's negotiate this we're going to give them enough now that they have the missiles and everything negotiate like, what putin's going to negotiate he wants to all right yeah, go how do you know because he said so because you read oh, it oh, somewhere yeah i don't believe him again Again, um, there were like before the war, I think Russia put out serious proposals that should have at least been negotiated. And then after the war, we know that there was the outline of an agreement reached between Ukraine and Russia and Turkey. But Boris Johnson came over and told Zelensky not to do it. And Naftali Bennett was the former Israeli prime minister. He Hold on, what, what's what was what are the outlines of the agreement that Ukraine had to give up territory? It was that it was that uh, it was basically that uh, Ukraine would would give up any plans to join NATO. It would not join NATO. Yeah. And the issue of Crimea would be deferred um, and Russia would withdraw to its pre-invasion lines. That that apparently but, was- But what, what about now? Would you would you be okay with Russia keeping territory now? What I think the solution there is there has to be a referendum in those territories. So in Crimea, which Russia- Are, are you suggesting, it sounds to me like you're about to suggest the same solution that they had in Palestine. I, I right? know you were, you were taking it there. So I, I knew you were taking it there. Well, uh, <laughs> no, I'm, no, I'm, I'm totally serious. I, I, I think it's a little bit different because, uh, you know, 
Ukraine, parts of Ukraine used to be a part of Russia a long time ago. Oh, parts of and, parts of Israel were never part of uh, the Jewish. Uh, there, uh, there were there have always been some Jews inside uh, Israel Palestine, but there was a huge wave of migration over from Europe. Point you is, know. what you're gonna you're gonna suggest now is some sort of forward looking. In some way, we can't undo the past. We're gonna have to settle based on the what's the situation on the ground now, because otherwise, it's never gonna end. That's what I'm saying. And yes, I agree with you. Yeah. And, and, you know, so in Crimea, there's no doubt, you know, like if you read U.S. polls, uh, U.S. commission polls, the vast majority of the population there wants to be a part of Russia. That's clear. In the Donbass, I think it's more mixed um, and people should be allowed to return to their homes. And if they're if they can't return, they should be allowed to vote wherever they are. And, the you know, both sides should respect whatever the outcome is. But the, the problem is, is that, you know, you have a split inside Ukraine. You have an identity that really identifies with the West and, an, and a people who really identify with Russia and rather than respecting the differences of of both sides and letting the country just be neutral, there's been an attempt to force it into one camp, which is NATO, which has been dangerous. And William Burns, who's the current director of the CIA, warned about this back in 2008. We wrote a memo saying he was Russian ambassador at the time. He said that Russia said that if you keep trying to bring Ukraine into NATO, that's going to lead to a situation where if there's a civil war, uh, inside Ukraine, Russia will, will be forced to intervene on the pro-Russian side, and that's pretty much what is yeah. happening. Well, listen, and, I, I'm 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 somewhat sympathetic to some of the things you're saying. I I'm I tried to organize a debate at one time to get to to have somebody take the Mearsheimer position because I thought it was interesting and um it was getting swept under the rug by people who didn't want to really take it yep. head on, and and I couldn't even get a good debate going on it. But having said all that, well, I remember that like that was yeah. that was like. That was with Max Blumenthal and Scott Horton, right? And then the other speakers wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't debate them. It was something like that. I could tell you about yeah. it off the air, but it was, okay. it was not. Um, I, I wasn't involved in it. I only found out about What's everything the fun of that? afterwards. Yeah. And then, and then when I tried to reach out to Max Blumenthal, he was a real dick to me. So I, I, I lost all the sympathy <laughs> I had for him because okay. because I was apologetic. And I, but uh, having, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a mess. Nobody wanted to touch that. But and that's the problem. People don't want to debate this issue. It's yeah. too bad. But having said all that, it's true that Crimea was always Russian. It's true that Crimea finding itself as part of Ukraine was a technicality where Khrushchev gives it away, you know, thinking this yeah. is. On the other hand, all that was superseded by the fact that there was an agreement that the, that the Russians signed about Ukraine's territorial integrity and giving up nuclear arms in return for Russian promises. And this is not just about what those people who live in that part of Ukraine want. It's also about the strategic importance of that piece of land that Ukraine and, and the access to the sea. And Ukraine had a right and still has the right, although, you know, it's not going to get them even on the subway, as they say, but they still have a right to say, it doesn't matter that this was always Russian. It, what matters is that 10 years ago, whatever, 15 years ago, we signed an, 20, we signed an agreement and you signed it. And we relied on it and we gave up our nuclear weapons, even though we could have never fired them, whatever. It doesn't matter. There was there was a treaty and the world can't the world can't just say, yeah, there was a treaty, but it doesn't matter because that's the whole point of treaties is to settle past issues. And that past issue of Ukraine, if you're going to be a fair minded person, believes international law is irrelevant. It's irrelevant to I what treaty should have a date. It doesn't matter that, that it was always Russian because they agreed. But I have a Russia but. agreed to let it be part of Ukraine. But I have a but, no. Uh, yes, so there was that treaty. It was 1994, the Budapest Agreements, where Ukraine gives up its nuclear weapons and gets assurances of its uh, respect for its territorial integrity. Yeah. A few things, though. First of all, Ukraine couldn't operate those nukes. Doesn't matter. Keep, okay. Uh, I said I'm that. Saying, I said that they couldn't. Oh, oh, okay, shot. okay. But more importantly, more importantly, Everybody committed to respect Ukraine sovereignty. And this gets to the events of 2014 and how you depends how you see it. Now, I see what happened in 2014 as a Western back coup where you had a government in Yanukovych that came under protest and then it was overthrown and the U.S. backed the coup. And no matter how you feel about Yanukovych, he was very corrupt. You can say a million bad things about him. He was ousted, I think, undemocratically. And that and we know there was that leaked phone call. There's a recording of Victoria Newland who's a top U.S. official under Obama and now back under Biden, where she's speaking to the U.S. ambassador and they're discussing who the next Ukrainian leader should be. And they pick this guy, Yatsenyuk. They say Yats is the guy. And lo and behold, after the coup, that's who became the new prime minister of Ukraine. So that wasn't respect for Ukraine's sovereignty. 
And trying to turn Ukraine into a NATO proxy on Russia's borders to me is not respect for Ukraine sovereignty. And also, Ukraine also committed to respect the you know rights of all its people. And Russian-speaking Ukrainians have certainly not felt respected for the last decade when there have been attempts to ban their language. When you know there's events like, and this gets buried under the rug, but there were events like the Odessa massacre in May 2014, where dozens of people protesting the the coup were burned alive, and it's events like this that angers Russians and 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 has put on pressure on Putin to intervene. And that's a case where we're on the side that's not respecting Ukraine's sovereignty either. Fine. Well, let me just say that I, I don't know the details. I wish I had. But at the time that this was going on, I I did some very good faith research. into It's called the Orange Revolution. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And and I tried to connect the dots from the things that Newland was saying to actual facts where we actually were responsible for making it happen as opposed to it not being a parallel. Yeah, we were saying it, but they also wanted whatever it is. So, so, you know, I, I, my, my, I could not nail it down to my own satisfaction that I could say that, yes, this is the way it happened. I, I see, I've read a lot of people kind of being fuzzy about it. And I don't think the facts are clear, but, but having said that, let's just take arguendo that everything you're saying is, is true. Um, I think if you're going to use that to sanitize the idea that a, a major power can rewrite the map of the world after a treaty based on its grievances, this is a formula for instability in the world. I, 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 I Russia should not have invaded Crimea and um and that's I mean, that they were provoked you know there was also you know the fact that uh the threat of my joining nato there was talks but well we a good thing we have a russian spy here derek what do you think i i think it just sounds like opportunism for uh Putin to try and like take over more i mean it seems like I, I, I'm an idiot, so I, I, I didn't even love research. Finally, but. something we could all agree on. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but but and, um, but I mean, it just seems it, it, you know I've read statements where he put it out where he's like, I'm just trying to keep Russian Russian and you know to protect these people and our national integrity. But it seems more like this guy's just really hungry for power and wants to control resources of people. So but, but again, it looks, it looks like we don't we do not want peace. Like like we are the only place in the world that somehow the war is um, benefiting us in a way, you know, uh, the rest of the world is going down. Um, I mean, I'll say this, any Russian leader, I mean, even Alexei Navalny, uh, who a bitter opponent of Putin is in jail right now because for challenging Putin, he says that I mean, he supports taking Crimea. It, it's it's in Russia. It's seen across the board as such an important interest because it's it's a it's Russia's most important naval port. It's right there. It used to be a part. And it was seized after a coup in which a new government came in that was dominated by the far right, was talking about Ukraine joining NATO. And Russia was faced with, with the Apparently. prospect of possibly losing its most important. I think the U.S. would have, would have done the exact same thing. And it has the support of the majority of the population of Crimea. Now, the invasion. Well, I don't, the, I don't the, know if you I don't know. I'll let you finish. I don't know if U.S. would have done the same thing, but I know Israel would have. But go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, that, for our Arabic <laughs> listeners, uh, the invasion Korea is uh, our Jerusalem. Yeah, go let, ahead. Let, let him finish. Go ahead, Aaron. Go ahead. But the invasion, the invasion of February twenty two, uh, 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 February two thousand twenty two. Of course, I don't think is justified. I can't accept that Russia had no choice but to invade. But I also can't pretend that Russia was not put into a corner. You had something going on in Ukraine. For the last eight years since the 2014 coup, which is a civil war that killed something like 13 or 14,000 people. And there was an agreement called the Minsk Accords, which were supposed to end that war. But the Ukrainian government refused to implement the main provisions. And that's because and Zelensky, I think, actually wanted to. Zelensky ran on a platform of peace where he was going to end that war. He got over 70 percent of the vote. But when he tried and this is a part of the story that I think does not get enough attention in U.S. media. He was bullied by the far right forces in Ukraine, like the Azov Battalion, which is neo-Nazi, who said to him, like, and groups like that said to him that if you with if you make peace in the Donbas, if you give up territory to these Russians, which really are, are Ukrainians, then we'll overthrow you. Uh, one far one far right leader threatened to hang him from a tree, and I think Zelensky, in the face of threats from the far right and also the U.S., wanting to basically use Ukraine to bleed Russia. 
put Zelensky in a position where he couldn't make peace. He couldn't implement the Minsk Accords. And that also was a major factor in this invasion, because just before Russia invaded, there were talks between Zelensky and the rebels in the east of Ukraine. And Zelensky wouldn't even speak to the leaders. And there also was at the time an increase in artillery fire coming from Ukraine into the Donbass. And Russia saw that as a sign that Ukraine was planning a major offensive. And so this was their response to it. Now, again, I don't think Russia's response is justified, but I'm just saying is I can't pretend that all this wasn't going on in the background. I do think that Russia did make a effort that should have been pursued to try to end it. Aaron, let's take this full circle. So now I, I had said on this podcast, it's 2016. I remember arguing with Fred Kaplan about this. And I said, listen, sanctions until Russia leaves Crimea are sanctions until the end of the time because they're never going to leave Crimea. And I and I said, and that's dangerous. It's dangerous to the world to have this as a permanent issue. Remember that, Hatem? Yep. So then, then Trump takes office and Trump, you know, clearly wants to settle the problem with Russia. And the people around Trump clearly agree that this is dangerous to the world and that, that they find our policy to be somewhat irrational. And Trump is completely precluded from taking any steps to solve this problem, which he yes. wanted to do, because they're calling him a Russian spy. Yes. And the very people who are outraged now with the Russian thing would have been outraged if Trump had done anything to lower the temperature. Absolutely. With Russia. And they pretend otherwise. Yeah. Yes. They fucking pretend otherwise. And whatever which, I think about what happened, that's infuriating. Just admit that, you know what, in retrospect, Maybe he was right to want to make a deal with Russia. Of course he was. Yeah. And Obama was right, too, because Obama, before Trump, Obama was saying he gave an interview to Jeffrey Goldberg of The Atlantic where he said that if people in this town think we should fight a war with Russia over who rules Crimea, they should come out and say it. And his point was that this is not in our interest, whereas Russia will will always expand all of its resources on Crimea and the Donbass because it's in their backyard. And so and so the Obama position is now being mocked by Democrats as being appeasement somehow. So that speaks to how things have changed. And I agree with you. Um, if Trump had taken any meaningful steps to try to resolve the issue with Russia, um, he wouldn't have been able to. And and look, you know, recall his first impeachment. What was that about? It was about after he froze some weapons to Ukraine for that civil war that began in 2014. Now, the allegation was that he was freezing those weapons to as leverage to induce an investigation of Joe Biden to get dirt on him. Which yeah. is a whole other story. But the point is that when Trump briefly froze the weapons, uh, he was impeached. And that's when Adam Schiff got up on the House floor. He said that the U.S. aids Ukraine so that we can fight Russia over there. We don't have to fight them here. And that was in 2020. Well, 2022, Russia invaded to end the fight. And I think we can't look away from our own role in that. Yeah. And also, just to um, add two things. One, Ukraine is a corrupt country. Like we, we, we should know that. So that there was some. I know he was trying to get blackmail, of course, for um, to get leverage and Biden. And the other thing we all forgetting is uh, the leader of Ukraine is comedian. So imagine Derek is leading the free world. You know, like it's the same thing. So uh, it'd be so much get, fun. Though. Yeah, we gotta get you back. You know, it's so much fun to talk to you. One last thing before we go, I want to just. Get your thoughts on and Norm and all that. Uh, the wait, wait, before Aaron, you, you live in New York? Yeah. He's in Brooklyn. Yeah, I, Brooklyn. I, I want you to come down. I, I'm going to get my, my Benny Mars books out. Okay. You, I'll and you bring whatever you had. We'll bring Hot Tim. <laughs> yeah. I, I really, make, I really, make it public. Let's, I want to come Let's do it. Let's, make do it. It let's have it out like, a, you know, what Hitchens used to say, uh, feast of reason, flow of soul. Okay. And when it gets hummus. Um, so, yeah. Uh, it's a citation so, war. I like those it. debates are are, are like, <laughs> like we, we can have them sometimes in the podcast. Uh, but yeah. anyway, so before we go, we, we got to get you back on for sure. But uh, before before we go, I want to get your thoughts on the Twitter files on Elon Musk in general. You know, uh, what and then because me and Noam have a, a little debate going on about uh, Elon Musk as well. Hmm. You you like well, him? I I think he have an agenda. Um, he wants to gain back power. Anyway. Who doesn't oh. have an agenda? But go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, Elon Musk yeah. has an agenda. No, no. Uh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, look, I, I don't have too many warm thoughts about Elon Musk, but I do have a lot of appreciation for the Twitter files and the reporting, especially of my friend Matt Taibbi, who I think has done some really important uh, work here, exposing that, you know, at, at a time when this scare campaign we got of how Russian bots were invading America and brainwashing Americans. And what Matt Taibbi's reporting has shown from the Twitter files is that 
the people behind all this knew they had no evidence for it, but they put a lot of pressure on sites like Twitter to validate it. And, you know, there's one of Matt's most recent stories is about this thing called the Hamilton 68 dashboard, which supposedly had the ability to track Russian bots. And they even had these full lists of Russian bots that they shared with Twitter. And Matt got the list. And what they show is that they're people being described as Russian bots were real people. Like some people who I know who are just, you know, like like normal people, nothing to do with Russia. You and know Russian was, traders? No Russian traders, no. Uh, you no. don't know them? Okay. You're, you're fr- I thought you were admitting your friends were Russian traders. Go ahead. Go ahead. And what this and what this was was just a scam. It was run by uh, neocons, like uh, a group called the Alliance for Securing Democracy, who basically were just using this to go after their political opponents. Anybody who criticized their policies and who criticized U.S. policy about Russia, they would just deem them Russian bots in order to get them censored. And so what we're seeing from the Twitter files is how deceptive this was but how effective it was in getting in in legitimizing censorship and getting people taken off the of social media for having the wrong views i i gotta i gotta i have to say something now because you don't uh, have our, to i'm not gonna edit it out <laughs> no i have to because you know okay just I'm a warning i'm not gonna edit it out i don't have i'm to in talk. a bind but honor requires me to say something so clint watts who is the the guy in charge of what's the name of the organization Hamilton, Hamilton. He was the, yeah, yeah, yeah. What is it? Hamilton. Hamilton, Hamilton 68. 68. Yeah. 68. Yeah. He was um, on the show before. Yeah. He, he's, he's been a friend of mine for a long time. He's now. a good friend. Yeah. And, um, he's, he's a very good guy. He's, uh, he's, um, you know, he has a, as I, I wrote Matt Taibbi about this, he's, um, co- dedicated father. He has a wonderful girlfriend who's very, uh, um, warm and, uh, you know, things that say something about a person. It's very hard for me to, um, contemplate that this was a scam i'm certainly not saying it's accurate obviously it's not accurate i feel like i haven't spoken to him about it and i and i but i just because you know he, he might listen i feel like that some of these things happen through sloppiness that then is um explained away in a certain way um, I've, I've noticed, I've known things in my life many times that started this way where somebody screwed up and they, in, in the, in the attempt to cover up the screw up, they dug the hole deeper. And before they knew it, they were just in this situation that l- looked like a scam, right? But it's not a scam. And then I think he just found a way to just close up shop on that and, and kind of like admit that these bots and we're getting on something other than bots. All, all of which is to say that I just want to say for the record, knowing him, and I could be wrong, I don't, not, he's not a close, close friend of mine, but you can be wrong about your close, close friends. But my, my, my gut has been pretty good in my lifetime. I do not think this was organized as a scam. I think it backed into something that was not correct and then was defended probably beyond the point where it should have been. That's just want to say that because he's my friend and that's what I think is true. I don't know anything. Anyway, that's that. Okay, fair enough. And I'm not, you know, I've never spoken to Clint Watts and I don't know what's in his mind. What I know is that they claimed falsely yes. that people were Russian bots and they didn't have the evidence to back it up. Do you, do you think with the Twitter files that, you know, certain release, like they claimed that they will release everything and obviously they have very good journalists like taking care of this thing, but the... Everything they've been releasing so far, it's kind of like leaning towards one thing, don't you think? Well, they've shown there was censorship around the issues of COVID, you know, people banned for having dissenting views about lockdowns and things like that. And and then there's been a, a rush to get element. And there was, a, you know, a Lee Fong of The Intercept did a Twitter file about how the Pentagon was uh, working with Twitter to basically promote Pentagon propaganda operations in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and but certainly, yeah, there there is a limited view, and that's that's happens with any story where you're relying on sources. They're going to give you what they feel is in their interest, and um, mm. you know, so you never know. It's, maybe there's more information in there that contradicts some of what we've been told. But I can only go off what we've seen, and to me, what we've seen so far is definitely damning, and it's definitely in the public interest. So yeah. you don't think that Elon's being completely transparent with like all the Twitter release? It's more a controlled release. It's definitely it a control. It's definitely a control release. I mean, the way to be fully transparent would be to release everything. But that's you know that, that's the problem is that's not always 
I mean, we could hope for that, but that usually doesn't happen uh, when you're dealing that's, with. That's what Jack Dorsey told him. It's like say but, release everything, and but then didn't, you know, but said that there's some information that was hidden from you, from from Dorsey. You know, mm. but didn't Matt Taibbi write that uh, nobody told him what he couldn't couldn't release? Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. No, he he's limited by what he you know he, he can ask them to search for stuff, and then and then he gets what he gets, but. Certainly, he's been very clear. No one's there's been no editorial conditions in terms of what he can say and not, and he wouldn't have accepted it if there were. I don't think. I mean, not because I I attribute to Elon Musk any angelic anything, but what does he care? This is all before he was there. His fingerprints yeah. are not on anything that would come out, so he has no apparent reason to want to be covering anything up. Absolutely. Like, yeah. I mean, I mean, but there are people at Twitter who do because it because they're yes. still there and they and they feel as if they will do damage to their company. And uh, apparently, according to Matt, there are people at Twitter really angry at Elon Musk for allowing for doing this because they feel as if he's damaging the reputation of their brand. But I well, think the transparency is great. This is one of the little little uh, recognized defenses of Elon Musk and all the people that were let go and the people that were quitting and all that stuff. People don't realize that. When you take over a new company, um, you're not going to be able to succeed with the old employees because they don't want you there. It's deep state. The deep state is real. And they will make sure that you fail. So he yes. needed to bring everything to a head. Say, listen, I got to find out the people who are enthusiastic, who you know wanted this change all along and are ready to work hard for me. And the people who are not happy here, I think this is what CNN is going through now. Like you read about CNN, yes. everybody's so miserable with CNN. <laughs> well, because, you know, they loved, uh, what's his name? Uh, um, what the hell is his name? The guy who used to run CNN. Oh, Jeff Zucker. Yeah, they loved Jeff Zucker. So, yeah. um, and they were, and they were, you know, hurt that he was let go. And, they, right. and but they're, they're not going to get behind the policies of the new guy, just on principle. It doesn't matter whether, they don't know whether the policies are good or not. So, so Musk, you know, he's, he's, he has, he's doing, in certain ways, what he has to do, he's obviously been reckless in certain ways and some done some dumb things. But in general, I, I don't know why people hate him so much. Because um, he has an agenda. He wants power and he wants to be a rock star. Um, but anyway, um, good news is I was hired to get the uh, my. I have to go. I have to go. I have yeah. to go. I have, to, I have somebody well, in my we're house waiting. right now. So, uh, but thanks for blocking my last joke. But anyway, not only not only should you thank me, America <laughs> thanks me. <laughs> well, you didn't even hear it, Derek. Where people can find you and follow you? Derek is frozen. Uh, yeah, find me uh, at Hump Derek on all social media. Thanks so much for having me, uh, Aaron. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at uh, Aaron J. Mate, and uh, a lot more of my work at thegrayzone.com and mate.substack.com. Uh, I got to go an email with Norms and and we yeah. Well, you why, Hatem, why don't you arrange for us to all have coffee or something? Yeah, well, arrange to have uh, uh, some hummus and falafel. I don't know. Do, do you drink, Aaron? Of course, yeah. Oh, okay, sure. good. So we'll have drinks. Yeah. Okay, bye. Yeah, we'll have drinks. All right, peace. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. Bye, guys. I'll uh, email you.